groups. But if we look in the news, we're constantly reminded that this is a generation that thinks rather differently to, to previous generations, is much more about authenticity, much more about show me the evidence. The world around us is changing faster than ever before. before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be, bold, be brave, be and be brave. fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome, Welcome. Welcome. to the Data Gurus Podcast. And we are back for another episode of Data Gurus. I am Seema Vasser, your host. And today's guest, I have Simon Chadwick, who for many, I think, perceive as the rock star of the market research industry. Welcome, Simon. Time to welcome this week's Data Guru. Thank you. I think that's, um, I'll, I'll add that to the, the, to the token wonderful things people say. The rock star, I like them. It's funny because we had a sales meeting earlier this week and I said I was interviewing you and they're like, wow, you're interviewing Simon. He's like a rock star. And everybody's eyes were just amazed. So um, hats <laughs> off to you. You have a wonderful reputation. Thank you. And I should also mention if people don't know, Simon is the founder and managing partner of Cambiar Consulting. So Simon, we were chatting offline for a few minutes and really just talking about where the industry is. And I know many years, probably about five years ago, we were looking at a lot of capital going into our industry, a lot of it going to big data and analytics. What's going on now? What are you seeing now from, from an investment perspective? Well, it's, it was really interesting, actually, Seema, because the investment boom started around 2011. And we hadn't really seen, as an industry, we hadn't seen huge amounts of money coming in, particularly from venture capital, private equity in the past. And then all of a sudden, as you say, particularly with big data and data analytics, it took off. It just mm -hmm. mushroomed. Until 2013, 2014, I think the we were reckoning that some 2 billion, 3 billion were coming into the industry annually. Right. And it may have even risen above five at its peak. So for about a total over the last seven years of $12 billion coming into the industry, which is huge if you think about it. it, it really is. But what we've seen over the last two to three years is actually quite a precipitous collapse. And then this year's stabilization of the incoming investment. And the reason for that, basically, I think, is that having put so much in, mm -hmm. particularly the venture capital funds, you know, they have to concentrate now on returning the investment to their return of investment to their, their investors, their funds investors. And so basically they're just doubling down on the successes and they're not pouring new money in. So they've so placed much. their bets. They place their bets, exactly. And out of this, you know, there's probably about eight hundred companies that have been funded, maybe more, if venture capital has its usual success rate of one in ten. Then we've got probably 80 to 100 viable new competitors in the market. Well, that's definitely going to keep everybody on their toes. It already has. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing the shifts in, in many places, especially even in data collection, where it's not just online data collection, but it's the combination of big data, passive metering, and it's real question as to who plays what role in the industry. And, and I think it's quite murky. Yeah, it, it is murky and it's getting murky 
in all sorts of different ways. As you say, the data that are collected are not necessarily just primary data anymore, and they come from all over, and that's part of the wonders of, of you know, big data technology. But at the same time, I think there are a number of these companies that have been funded, probably about 25% of them, that call themselves analytics companies, but they're actually ad targeting companies. And I think for a lot in the industry, that's a you know, bright red line. And so you have to be careful about, well, what is analytics? And I think there's quite a big conversation going on these days about how do you define it, which I think is almost an impossibility because you have to go down to the sort of granularity of what people do and what why they're doing it to describe what analytics is. But yeah, the definitions are very difficult to, to maintain these days. Yeah, in the simplest form, it feels like providing insight from a consumer or a business respondent or professional, if you kind of put that as kind of the parameter of the ecosystem, mm. it could potentially, I mean, nothing's easy, but at least it simplifies the challenge of the definition. I think that's absolutely true. I mean, I keep on asking people who worry about this, well, what, is, what, what are we here to do? And it is to provide that insight, which it does have an impact on the business. And it isn't to sell stuff. So once you establish that, then I think you can sort of work your way through. But, but people are getting quite irritated by it, I think. And I know you've been working on understanding Gen Z a bit more and its impact on our industry. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, I think it's fascinating because if we look in the news and, and Gen Z, what the oldest Gen Z is around 22, right? But if we look in the news, we're constantly reminded that this is a generation that thinks rather differently to, to previous generations, is much more about authenticity, much more about show me the evidence. And if you just think of Parkland and all gone on with that and how those kids just swung into action, it was it was amazing. There is a theory, a sort of sociological theory, archaeological, sociological, that which I don't know if it's really correct, but it, it sounds right, which is that generational cycles go in fours, which is that you have a hero generation really sets everything up and things are going really well, followed by a conformist generation that enjoys the fruits of that, followed by a rebel generation that kind of destroys it. And then you have to have a hero generation to clean up the mess again. And if you think about it, the Gen Z is sort of lining up to be a hero generation. It's actually a little bit of a silver lining to see their passion come out. And, you know, mm. in the midst of everything that's happening, it feels a little comforting that that generation's more engaged than ever. Yeah. In the world we live in, quite frankly, of all the topics that are near and dear to our heart. Yeah, that's where it becomes, I think, very interesting because, because they're so evidence-based. I, I think there's a really big opportunity, particularly if we're in the universities and in high schools, to say to them, look, here is an amazing profession that is all about you know, evidence and understanding people and making a difference. And particularly if we, we show them the social side of the industry, that, you know, social research, I think that we, we could be a really really important go-to industry for them as they start to graduate and that, you know, we might actually bring in a great new generation of researchers. 
That's a great point. I never connected that to, to their attributes of their generation. And what do you what do you think of millennials? I know that a while ago everybody was talking about how all the stereotypes of millennials are lazy. Yeah. They're not motivated, but they are community driven. They are altruistic in some ways in terms of contributing their time to community service. Mm. How's that played out in our in our industry with millennials? Well, we're getting to the stage now where I suspect by the end of this decade we're going to see a pretty big chunk, maybe 30, 40%, maybe more, of management positions in our industry being filled by millennials. I think the biggest difference that's going to make is in the way in which businesses run. You know, the old hierarchical order follower. Command and control. Command and control, thank you. That's what I was looking (laughs) for. You know, I, I, I think that's fading out. And it's already faded out to a, a large degree. And and I think we'll we'll see probably that much more collaboration, that much more ideas driven sort of companies probably. Yeah, there's a fascination with technology and I think that will persist. But it also may be that there's more of a fascination coming through with just ideas per se and intellectual property. So I'm actually quite quite optimistic about them, I think, on about that generation. Reg Baker and I wrote a paper for SMR back in 2015, and we pretty much junked the whole stereotypical thing about them, because they do bring pretty much all, they tick pretty much all the boxes of the type of leadership that we need in the future and the skill sets that we need. The only thing that we didn't have any evidence about at that time was leadership because they hadn't had enough time to lead. And I think now we're seeing quite a few leaders of that generation, particularly in some very interesting startup companies. Yeah, I would agree. I even I feel it even just in terms of working and collaborating with different industries, companies, there's more of an openness of not having everything to be invented here, but more so mm. let's work together and let's mm. solve this together. And it's, it's, it's refreshing because I think in many ways we can move faster in that model versus trying to do everything on our own. And no, I can't let that person know what we're working on. It's a secret yeah. us. So mm. it's refreshing. Mm. Yeah. Simon, I know earlier this week, you guys just announced a partnership with GRBN. Tell us yep. about that. That sounds really interesting. Well, it is, and I'm really excited about it. So thank you for bringing it up. We partnered back in 2015 with Boston Consulting and with the Yale Center for Customer Studies. We wanted to know the degree to which the the management of insights within major corporations had improved or not since BCG had done a, a, a landmark study back in 2009. And we did an enormous study. It was over 600 senior executives, users of research, practitioners, heads of research, so on. A lot of IDIs, I think about 35 CEO, IDI, CMOs. And out of this came a whole raft of very interesting data. The first part of which you you, you need to sort of grasp onto is that things that had improved dramatically, double the number of research departments were now regarded as strategic to their companies. The bad news being that was still only 20%. So 80% are not yet there and 50% are sort of order-taking research departments. So you know, GRBN is really trying to work out how to push those 50% up the line and get it, you know, research much more embedded strategically uh, and, and to, to really get embed, you know, it embedded as an investment inside the business rather than, a, a, you know, a cost line. 
One of the things we discovered was that virtually every single research function that was rated as being strategic did actually measure return on investment in research. So they measured the ROI of everything they did. Now, a lot of people say you can't do that, which is, you know, bunkum. So BCG and GRBN then did a further study on how it was being done and, you know, the best practices that they could find. And then GRBN took this into a handbook, which you can get online, roiofinsights.com. And it's a very, very comprehensive book on how it's done, together with templates. But they needed a training arm. And we had already been training departments in how to measure return on investment. So we got together with them and we said, let's let's do this. You know, let's take this out into the world, train client-side departments, train agencies, research agencies as well, because they have a role to play. And I'm really pleased to say that, you know, that's now official and we have our first seminar next next Thursday. Fantastic. We have 20, 27 companies turning up. Wow. Yeah. That's, great. That's wonderful. So, uh, yeah, we're really pleased, yeah. really pleased, very excited because this, if we can really just move the needle here, it would make a huge difference to this profession. That's fantastic. I'm curious yeah. of the 20% of those companies that viewed research as strategic, where did that, where did research report into? Was it? Yeah, interesting. I mean, that's a very good question because one of the things that, that determined whether they were, were acting strategically mm -hmm. and being strategic was that they did have a C-suite champion. So there was a very high correlation. Mostly they were reporting into the CMO. But what we found was that actually it's much more effective if you can report into the, the CSO, the chief strategic mm -hmm. officer, or the chief financial officer, because they tend to survive longer than CMOs. That's an excellent point. Mm. There's a lot of rotation there. Yeah, exactly. And the CFO yeah. actually is an interesting role as well because they would demand return on investment measurement. Right. And then if you get the CFO believing what he's seeing on right. his spreadsheet, then you know, you're getting more respect, more budget, more resources. That's fantastic. And did you see any differences by vertical industry? Small differences, mm -hmm. not ones that we could really sort of make big, you know, big pronouncements about. CPG, I think, you know, CPG seemed to be perhaps leading the way a little bit more in terms of how, you know, what proportion was strategic, but not to a significant extent. Whereas, you know, non-CPG financial services, people like that, were perhaps making a little bit better use of, of data analytics. But I mean, you know, it, it wasn't wasn't massive. And what's interesting is that, you know, if you go in the farmer industry, they all say, oh, we're so far behind. Well, Simon, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate My it. My pleasure, as and, always. And I'd love to have you back in the near future. Well, it'd be great to be back. Yeah, thank just, you. And, and uh, good luck with the, this whole series. I think it's a great thing to do. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Data Gurus Podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.datagurusepodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.datagurusepodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, 
and be fearless.